the average corporation doesn't survive its founder for that very reason. Hey, this is the way we've always done it around here. So when we're talking about creating a coaching culture for the 21st century, for the expectations that your children are going to have of their organizations and their careers, can we get out of their way and allow that to happen? It's really the courage that we're talking about in creating a coaching culture. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. All right, welcome back, everybody. J.R. Flatter here with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. Today, in this session, we're going to talk about a coaching style of leadership. And what do we mean by that? You and I talk about this all the time, but it just occurred to us. We've never really drilled down onto it. And what exactly do we mean? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that I'm, I always want to ask the guests about, like, what do you consider to be like bringing your coaching into other aspects, you know, managing people or just, you know, life, like personal leadership, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that people who are hesitant about coaching or wondering about potential return on investment, or is it the latest fad of the day or the year, wondering about what exactly do we mean by that? So I'll do my best in the next several minutes to tell you what I think about. And as usual, you can ask me these magnificent, powerful questions. So I'll just start. If you think about, and and it's not entirely 20th century versus 21st century, that's too simplistic. It's obvious to everyone who listens and watches us that I'm the boomer and you're the millennial. We came from very different generations, very different backgrounds, very different expectations of our organizations, our careers. When I was your age, Back in my day, I could look 30 years ahead and pretty much predict what the world was going to look like. I didn't see the internet coming. I didn't see Zoom and Teams and all that coming. But there was some predictability to life and the relationship that I would have with my employers and my career. But you you tell me, as you are raising a son in the 21st century, what kind of predictability you have or for career, for skills, for the knowledge that you, so you get bachelor's and now you have your MBA and, you know, how, what's the half-life of that information in the 21st century? Yeah, I, I do think about that, like, you know, planning for college and is this going to look anything like it looks today? Just because we had that ability when the internet, you know, was coming to maturity where it's like, oh, everybody could learn everything online. But now it's been, you know, 20 years, 25 years later. So these things are getting more and more mature. Like you could feasibly actually teach yourself to like a master level. Yeah. So when I was coming up, I was in college in one form or another for 20 something years. An MBA was starting to be considered not irrelevant, but less relevant. The MBAs still have a a grip and they're still very valuable. 
how do you teach innovation? How do you teach to grow a unicorn company or you know, any of those things that a classic business school uh, wouldn't even touch? And a master of fine arts, you know, people started to talk about the skill sets one gains studying fine arts instead of business and as a complement to business. And here now as artificial intelligence is beginning to get some legs and applicability to the average person, access to the average person, game on. Yeah, and I think um, this is a nice segue because we're thinking about, okay, what's how does coaching fit into this? And it's that kind of the value, there's way more value in, in ambiguity and in that kind of more like intellectual level of debate on things just because all of our bases are covered information wise by like a thousand different sources, you know? So it's like, what can we get and what can you do as a service that's not provided by like ubiquitously across all these different platforms? Yeah. Not to be a, a intellectual geek, but you know, when, when the library burned down in Alexandria, what, couple thousand years ago, it was devastating because all that knowledge was lost. Well, that's never going to happen again, right? Even when I was in undergrad in the late 80s, if you wanted to learn something, you wanted to study something, you went and sat in the library all day long. And it was these gigantic buildings full of thousands and thousands of books. And you had to have a card to get in the door, right? So here's your access to knowledge. Those days are behind us. You've also just reminded me, or maybe even just taught me, coached me, of what the difference between mentoring and coaching is. When I mentor, I'm literally predicting that my knowledge from the past is relevant to your future. But you're standing there going, I have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like. And yet you're telling me a story from 40 years ago. So we don't we toss all that out the window when we coach. Yeah, let's put those unknowns at the forefront. And I guess what you kind of were saying and hinted at was that like the mentorship, yeah, you're you're delivering that information just like that access to the library kind of thing. Whereas, okay, what else what else do people need besides just that straight solid information? Yeah, I'm going to open the door to my library to you and mentor you. <laughs> it just sounds silly coming out of my mouth. Um so culture, you, know, you and I have talked about culture before in, in these sessions. I think it's a pretty good analogy to talk about culture as a story. It's the story I tell myself about my life and about my family and about my business. And I can tell whatever story I want to. It's my perception of that reality. But you also tell a story about our business. You tell a story about our family. And you tell your own story about being a father and a husband. So how, what can we do to influence that story? Because the world tells a story about us that we have no direct control over. And so when I think about creating a coaching culture and using a coaching style of leadership, I'm asking myself two things. Am I communicating that I want this kind of culture, that I find value in this kind of culture? And then am I demonstrating it? Am I actually listening to you and then 
hearing what you're saying and then responding to what you've said, not to what I believe or preconceive. So the beginning of this coaching style of leadership is literally creating that culture, that environment, communicating and demonstrating that story. Yeah, I guess what you just said kind of made me think like, yeah, like creating that environment where like this story is more than likely going to pop up. So it's not that, oh, I've told this story verbatim and now I'm passing it from this person to this person to this person. But if I build this particular environment and then another manager builds it in their team, then the story that comes out should be similar, or at least have like those similar threads. Yeah, absolutely. So we do another one of the things you and I do every fourth Friday, we have a coach's coffee and conversation. So that was eight o'clock this morning here. A good number of people there from all over the country. A couple of people in the UK stayed up late in the afternoon. So we start with mindfulness, just like any other session, and they tell success stories or challenges they've had. And as a culture builder and someone who wants to build a coaching culture and exhibit a coaching style of leadership, it's comforting to hear them telling success stories based on the methods that you've taught and supported. And I think that's the thread that you were pulling on a minute ago. Those across different leaders and different areas they're telling, you're seeing that same story and, and that same story is being told. In its simplest form, a culture is somebody telling somebody else, this is just how we do it here. So say somebody comes to you with a problem, you know, as a coaching style of leader, how do you approach that? And like, I think some people think that, you know, you're never going to tell somebody like a straight answer and it's always riddles or something, but that's not necessarily how it needs to go in real life. You know, that's why they executed Socrates in 399 BC. He just wouldn't give you a straight answer ever. <laughs> they finally got tired of it. And so, yeah, you, you can take it too far. We tell the story about if somebody comes up and asks you where the stapler is, you don't say, what is it about the stapler that interests you? What value does the stapler <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. It's right there. So, yeah, this isn't the panacea. And I don't want to say that you train people. I would prefer maybe educate people on your team, that you are not the answer person. You might be the facilitator of discovering the answer. You may have been down this road before and experienced similar circumstances and produced similar outcomes, but you want them to grow as a leader and they are going to learn to come to you with that expectation. But when you first start this, let's say you've gone through coach training and you're building a coaching style of leadership and creating a coaching culture. The first time Lucas comes to be the answer person and says, hey, I have a challenge. And 99 times before, you've told me what to do. And now you're going to say, let me put my coaching hat on and help you figure this out. Because I want you to grow as a leader. There are going to be some pushback, whether it's verbal, facial, body language, whatever. And your organization's going to have to learn, hey, the boss is different. Uh, Lucas is different. And this is a common theme we hear. Uh, a lot of the mindfulness sessions that we hold at the beginning of every session, 
I hear a lot of stories about feedback from people. There's something different about you. What's changed? You're listening to me. You're asking me questions. You're, you're, you're helping me solve my own challenges rather than just giving me the answer. So you're going you're gonna to start to see that over time. It's not going to be immediate. It's going to take a lot of work. It takes a lot of courage. You and I help people build houses of leadership. And the very first discussion is this house stands on a foundation of courage. Because you're the boss or you're the expert, you have the relationship, whatever kind of power you have. Because this person came to you for something, they came to you for to help them solve a challenge. And for you to purposely say, I'm not sure, now, that's very foreign to us, especially those who have wandered into the 21st century from the 20th century. We came up at a time where it wasn't okay. Uh, it was expected that you better have the answer. If you were asked a question, uh, you better have the answer. I guess on top of that, I think guests and maybe even ourselves were always bringing up Ted Lasso, but you think about like how how did he create that locker room where like somebody can come to him for advice, then they leave the locker like his office and they might see like a motivational poster or they might bump into another person that you've already coached where they can get more of a perspective. It's all this other stuff that you've built around just come to me and we can talk, but there's other things that a coach coaching style of leader probably have, have done to provide resources beyond that. I think. And uh, as I was listening to you, I'm thinking of Lencioni's the five dysfunctions of a team. And there's a lot of similarities between those dysfunctions, which I think, in some ways, Lencioni titled this book backwards because he really wanted us to overcome those dysfunctions by showing us the, the dysfunctions. But at the base of that pyramid that he draws is trust. And so if you feel confident coming in my locker room, presenting a challenge to me, and I'm not going to bite your head off and call you an idiot for not knowing, that perpetuates and you take that away with you and you share it with your coworkers and you begin to exhibit that same level. Hey, you can trust me. I'm not going to bite your head off. Trying and falling short is acceptable. You bat 333 in the major leagues, you get into the Hall of Fame, which means you struck out almost seven times. That's life. Are you creating and you know, you're getting back to the idea of culture. What you described from Ted Lasso is a culture of trust which I think, you know, as you and I wander around this topic, trust is certainly embedded in a coaching culture, in a coaching style of leadership. I've also heard um, that one of the reasons people want to adopt this style is kind of getting more innovative or, you know, different solutions to problems. Do you believe that that plays out? And I guess, yeah, just that question. Yeah, it's funny you ask that because I was just talking to a member of our team. We're working with some very senior leaders in a particular organization, and they're trying to innovate. And if you've read anything on innovation, Innovator's Dilemma is a good resource if you haven't. You have to create an environment that's free of the bureaucracy, that's free of the history. And there are some classic examples from my generation of very successful 
companies that couldn't get out of their own way. Kodak may not have ever even heard of them. They couldn't or wouldn't transform to the digital age from the film age. Blockbuster couldn't or wouldn't get out of their own way from the recorded tapes to the streaming that we're having now, which I'm sure will be both of those overtaken by other technologies and will, you know, we were talking about AI a moment ago. Can Google survive AI? Can they pivot and become AI and keep their market share? It remains to be seen. History would say probably not. I think not to tell too much about where we are in time and space, but Microsoft's been really good at that. They've survived multiple generations of technology and have been able to pivot and stay in the market lead. The average corporation doesn't survive its founder for that very reason. Hey, this is the way we've always done it around here. So when we're talking about creating a coaching culture for the 21st century, for the expectations that your children are going to have of their organizations and their careers, can we get out of their way and allow that to happen in an efficient and effective manner. That's really the courage that we're talking about in creating a coaching culture. So this particular leader has created a cell that we're helping to create this capability to meet this 21st century challenge in a 20th century bureaucracy. It remains to be seen if in fact that'll succeed. Kind of evokes like a little tiny sapling or something. And it's like you're trying to, you want to like protect it and make sure it gets the water it needs and, and so forth. And, and anything could kill it at the beginning, like that kind of culture. Oh, I don't know what the statistics are, but sea turtles, right? Millions of them hatch and thousands of them survive. Trees the same way, thousands of seeds fall, hit the ground a couple of them will mature into a grown tree. But they have to take risk to achieve any of that growth. Yeah, it remains to be seen whether or not this complex 20th century organization can in fact pivot to meet the requirements, existential requirements of the 21st century. You know, and part of the challenge of a coaching culture, and one of the things you and I teach is unconscious bias and how to recognize it and to our best of our human ability, make it conscious and, and then not be maliciously biased as we go forward with our decisions. And one of the parts of unconscious bias is rank. So you and I look at each other, you say boomer, I say millennial, and we assign a rank to that. Whether or not our conscious mind ever grabs onto it and brings it into our conscious actions. And so when you're in an organization, it's very difficult to tamp down rank. And if I'm the CEO and I've been in the organization 30 years and you're some upstart millennial who just came in and you're telling me you're going to change or die, I'm going to think, who do you think you are? As a coach and with a coaching style of leadership, that's exactly the wrong thing to think. The right thing to think is, yeah, there are areas where this person is full of willingness, but not a lot of ability. But they're also full of innovation, and I'm, I'd probably be wise to listen to them. I don't, don't have to take and advice everything they say, but tamping down that rank and giving 
innovators the idea, the opportunity to introduce their ideas into what it's going to take to thrive and survive in the 21st century. And then, you know, eventually Declan's going to come to you 12 years. Well, he's already doing it. Whatever, Dad. <laughs> yeah, <amazing>. <laughs> <laughs> so, You know, you're strapping in early, but he's going to come to you when he's 14, 15 years old, just like every 14 or 15 year old. And he's going to think, my old man is the stupidest guy in the world. How did he survive this long? Famous thing from Mark Twain. When he was 17, his father was slugging her and he couldn't stand to be around him. By the time he was 21, he was amazed how much he'd learned in four years. That's what's going on in organizations. You know, 17-year-olds are coming in saying, you got it all wrong. Well, no, we don't have it all wrong, but we might have a lot of it wrong, especially for this new world that we're living in. And like, I think that kind of positional rank thing, it's funny too, because like you give a new problem to, you know, a veteran and a new person and it it might be like a 50%, it's like 50-50 on which one of them is going to come up with a solution because if it's a new problem, you know, you could use your old techniques and, you know, things that are tried and true, but it's not necessarily going to, you know, satisfy this something unexpected. So knowing that you have strengths in these areas and weaknesses in others, just like, you know, the brand new person on the team, I think that self-awareness is hopefully brought on by coaching and being coached. Yeah. I forget who said it, but part of the human experience that we get wrong is that we're so convinced that we know things that we don't. And so for most of us in our lives, we're a population of one. I know a guy, or I saw this happen, and that influences our experiences, influences our perceptions. And then some young upstart comes and says, well, no, my experience has been entirely different. And my prediction of the future is entirely different than yours. You know, we're both living off of the experiences of one data point. Even Einstein, as he wrote his theory of relativity in the early 1900s, knew it was a theory. It wasn't 100% provable, but eventually they were going to figure out what caused it and and his E equals MC squared might be thrown out the window. And so even as smart as he was and as convinced that he knew he had figured that out for now anyway, he also knew he might someday be replaced. We still don't know why the speed of light is constant. We still don't know how electrons and protons swirl around the atom. Kind of know where gravity comes from, but not entirely. We know how fast it is, how fast it accelerates. But there's a lot we don't know. And are we willing and able? Do we have the courage uh, to discover the new things? Um, and long way around the, the horn on this answer, but the courage, the willingness, and ability to listen and accept that new while not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's what a coaching culture is all about, what a coaching style of leadership is all about. Yeah. And I, I guess to close my thoughts on it too it's it's almost like a change of reference thing like you and i relative to each other are not you know we're going zero miles an hour but relative to the sun and so you you say like we're two data points and this is what the problem is but if i'm a business i'm competing on this global market so i need to you know keep expanding or contracting it oh yeah 
it really blows my mind when I see pictures of the galaxies, you know, and the earth is some tiny blue dot in there. And, you know, here I am sitting at this desk thinking I'm a big deal in, in having all of this influence in the world. And then you look at that picture and go, oh, wow. <laughs> all right, my brother. Thanks for being here. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.